Before we begin today's program, I wanted to let our listeners know that this episode contains some portions about sex and sexuality that may not be suitable for younger listeners. With that being said, here we go. Hi, and welcome to the Writers' Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I welcome on poet and educator Kristen Sanders. She is the author of Country, as well as two chapbooks, Orthorexia, and this is a map of their watching me. She's taught at a few universities, including Loyola and LSU, where she received her MFA, and was the RA Poetry Editor at, for the New Orleans Review and the Book Review Editor at the Southern Review. How's it going today, Kristen? Great. Thanks for having me, David. Of course. I'm glad you could stop by while you're, while you're back in town. Yes, I'm just here for a visit, but I did uh, move away from New Orleans two years ago. I get you. And you are living this nomad lifestyle at the moment. How's that been going? Yeah. Well, I moved back to California, which is where I'm from. And I taught, I've been teaching a few quarters at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which is where I graduated from on the Central Coast. Then I, in, in between quarters, I've been doing some traveling. I had a writing residency in Paris for three months. And I loved Paris so much that I decided since... Um, I actually te I'm also teaching at an online university that's based out of San Diego, and then I'm doing some writing, uh, freelance writing and editing, so I thought I would just commit to the digital nomad lifestyle and go travel around Europe. That's not a bad thing. No, I think it's a nice time to leave the country. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Um, how's it been being separated from New Orleans? How, you lived in Louisiana for about five, six years? Um, no, well, off and on for 10 years. Oh, okay, wow. But I mean, if you include Baton Rouge. Yeah. Two years in Baton Rouge, a lot of years in New Orleans, one year in Nashville. Okay. But which, so I spent a year in Nashville. I was going to be a country songwriter, which is what my uncle is. He's um, a very well-known country songwriter named Mark D. Sanders. Yeah. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame and has had a bunch of number one hits and a Grammy for Country Song of the Year. And so I grew up idolizing him. And when I left, I left Loyola University and went to Nashville to pursue this dream, which in hindsight was pretty much the worst choice I ever made. Really? <laughs> Career-wise. Although I did get country out of it. I channeled my anger at the country songwriting world into this book, Country. Yeah, which is, t tell me about that experience of going to Nashville. You're there for an entire year, right? I was there for one year, yeah. So I was um, teaching some classes at Belmont University as an adjunct. I was a waitress in the uh, in East Nashville, kind of the hipster side of things. And then I was songwriting on the side. Yeah, and you were trying to... Um... I know you wrote in The Guardian a really nice piece about your relationship with the country music, which we're going to delve into a little bit today. Yeah. Um, I saw your eyes widen there in terror. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's really interesting. You grew up with your, your uncle and his songwriting and about these really interesting, complex women characters from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of went to Nashville to start writing feminist country songs or focusing on themes as kind of to, com I don't want to say the word combat, but to kind of really deal with the modern interpretations of country and yeah. how it's become or reverted back to more misogynistic place. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like it it came it was more radical in the 60s, 70s and 80s and then the 90s than it is today. It really I think has gone downhill in terms of the feminist message. So I wanted to write feminist country songs and I I mean there are people doing that. Yeah. And I just I think that I was a little late to the game. 
So I have this vivid memory of serving dinner. I was 30, and I was serving dinner at this hip East Nashville restaurant to a table of women my age. And one was Casey Musgraves, and she was, like, talking about how she was about to go to the, like, big award show. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what she was going to wear or something. And and one of them, oh, I of course I can't remember most of their names, but one of them um, is a wonderful songwriter who writes for the TV show Nashville. She was writing all the songs. Oh, wow. So a slew of these women who I knew, but they didn't know me, and they were my age, and they were so far ahead of me career-wise. And I was, like, asking them how they wanted their steak. Yeah. And I just felt like, you know, if I had come here when I was 20 and done this and befriended these women, then I would have a chance. But I couldn't just, I felt like I couldn't break into it. Yeah, that, that's hard. I, I've heard that from, or read stories about that from a yeah. lot of certain views. It's really hard to kind of dive into that. Yeah, um, even though I had my uncle. Yeah. The same last name as him. But. <laughs> Which is helpful. Well, yeah. Was that kind of like the final straw for you to kind of like try and or just be like, I, I'm, I'm done trying to pursue this right here or what kind of? Oh, man. I don't know. I also felt like as a place, Nashville was one of the most conservative places that I had lived. Yeah. Um, even though it's a blue city and a red state, but coming from California and then living in New Orleans, um, I don't know. It was the kind of place where people ask you what church you're going to. And, you know, if I said feminism around a guy on a date, he would like kind of freak out or, you know. So I just felt like it wasn't really for me in a, in a bunch of ways, although I love my family and my cousin, Sophie Sanders is still out there (laughs) trying to write country songs and yeah. So it's good. Yeah, It's good, but not for me. And it felt also that was so limiting and I, there were, you know, I just really only wanted to write angry, feminist country songs or funny ones at least it was like here's a pile of words you can use to write about something that really matters to you but you have like 10 words to do it in yeah you know and so i channeled that into country where i could just say all of the bad words and weird things (laughs) that i couldn't say in a country song yeah and so i came running back to new orleans after a year and to the wonderful writing community here and all my friends and spent two years teaching high school where basically I encountered pretty much some of the same issues. Like if you're a high school teacher, it's problematic to be writing openly about sexuality. Yeah. And I had some support at that school, but maybe not enough. And so I left, went back to California, but everything has, you know, turned out well yeah (laughs) that's good yeah i guess i tend to run away from places no it makes interesting stories right there too um no that's interesting moving on to country which which you know as you said a lot of that experience was kind of channeled into um how did it feel to finally find a place where you could exert those thoughts and feelings uh, on the page was it was it really freeing for you was it a challenge to kind of let it out it was really freeing for me. Yeah. Yeah. Never a challenge to let it out. Um, I think because I've had such great writing teachers and, and mentors, and um, I think I have these women writers who I know and who I don't know, but but idolize and adore for their ability to just say whatever they want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Chris Krause and the people who blurbed my book are all women who I just adore and who write things that are not shocking just for the sake of being shocking ever, yeah. but just because that's how women think about things. 
and that's still perceived as radical in yeah. some circles. Um, yeah, yeah that, that, that's interesting. I know um, in another interview you did, there's a quote from you that says, you know, I'm asking you to sit there in the discomfort with me uh, uh, regarding your book, which I think is a really interesting type of strategy for engaging with a reader. Is that something you wanted to do from the offset or is that something that you had planned? That reminds me. I was just at SF MoMA. And there was a, um, a Magritte exhibit, and there was one, you know, he did a bunch of stuff that was very surreal, and so there's this one painting, and the, the, all the paintings were accompanied by, accompanied by very well-written and poetic you know, paragraphs. Yeah. And so there's this one where uh, his agent said, this painting makes me feel ill, and then his response was, a picture which is, really alive should make the spectator feel ill. Interesting. And I feel like that's how I think about writing. You know, I want, I think you should feel uncomfortable and not rush through the discomfort because so much of life is about that. Yeah. And I feel like that idea really comes from Laura Mullen, who was my professor at LSU and is a wonderful poet and a friend. She taught us or her grad, she taught her grad students a lot about the hybrid form, yeah, and like being okay with things that are not easily classified. So I gravitate towards works that are like that. No, yeah. that's a, when did you start noticing your kind of gravitation towards those things? Was that something early on? Was there any particular piece of, of media or or artwork that really kind of headed that up? A lot of the things that Laura Mullen had us read in, I think, one, like, basically my first grad class with her, which was um, Banu Keppel's Incubation, A Space for Monsters, and Claudia Rankin's Don't Let Me Be Lonely. Um, Those were really powerful books for me. And I came from an undergrad English program that was very conservative, and even though it was in California. Um, So I was not exposed to very many writers who were pushing the envelope. Yeah. So I feel like... I was writing, originally I was writing poems in imitation of Louise Glick. Yeah. And then when I got to grad school, it all exploded and I found a new voice, or my voice. Explosions are good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love that. I, I had a conversation with John Padgett, who's a, a local um, horror and surrealist writer here, and we were talking about the concept of fear. Mm. And a lot of the times in his writing, what you're able to do with this idea of quote unquote fear is to really find the nuances of that and pinpoint the direct like narrative of emotions in there. And I see that uh, in your book with these ideas of, of sexuality and explicitness and, you know, porn and uh, relationships with our culture at large. Uh, I think that's really kind of interesting how you dig into that. Um, and I was wondering, uh, for listeners that have never encountered your work, how would you describe it to someone? Wow. Well, yeah, I guess I say that I write about topics or themes related to gender, sexuality, and the intersection of technology. Yeah. Because I am really interested in how women, how women write about their sexuality and how porn is affecting everyone's sexuality. Yeah. Um, and I still think there's a weird thing where we act like women don't really look at porn. And I just think in our society, we haven't really figured out how to talk openly with our young people about their porn viewing habits. Yeah. 
And, and yeah. yeah, you bring that that up in the book. And I yeah. one of the things I was interested to talk to you about is um, there's that famous line, you know, about pornography. Like I know it when I see it. Um, mm. What do you think makes an image pornographic? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> Actually, my epigraph is by um, Catherine Angel. She's an English writer, and she wrote this book called Unmastered. That's all about her relationship to sexuality and writing about sex and being a writer. Yeah. And um, I don't know. So it's a really poetic, interesting hybrid book where it's almost, you know, is it poetry or is it nonfiction or what is it? And there's one line on one page where she just says, am I pornography? <laughs> and I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what is pornography. I don't know. Is my book pornographic? I don't think so. It's a hard thing to answer. It's it's, it's yeah. one of the things we deal with. We were talking before about FCC uh, regulations and how that depends yeah. on community standards in a lot of ways. And what is a community standard? What is a community? Yeah. Uh, yeah. These are all definitions we haven't really agreed on. Yeah. And then that brings me to my digital nomad globe trotting current interest, which is kind of to explore how other societies approach sexuality yeah you know like i mean i guess the french are supposed to be more open to it and i mean i don't i don't really know enough people with teenagers in the other in some other countries yeah to get a good grasp on that but i'm interested in learning more about it and, i mean i feel yeah. like we're just so prudish here in the u.s maybe less so in louisiana yeah it's weird it's kind of hard to, to gauge those things right yeah um it is interesting speaking about like pornography, something that, that like most people generally look at, but nobody's willing to talk about. Mm -hmm. I really do love that your work kind of delves into what are the undercurrents of how that makes us feel, even though nobody can talk about it yeah. outside of like, you know, words that are not verbo verboten, right? You know, yeah. like are not in a taboo language, which isn't really useful a lot of the times. Yeah. There's a book that's really great called Girls and Sex yeah. by Peggy Orenstein. She interviewed high school and college girls about their sex lives. And and even the ones that are super feminist, you know, and going to like women's and gender studies college classes are still um, not prioritizing their own pleasure in their sex lives and are still sort of mostly prioritizing being objectified, which I think is just so embedded in us. I don't know. I mean, I think me myself as well. I don't know how to remove that. Combat that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's and, hard. Um, and then I also think of Naomi Wolf's book, The Beauty Myth, which is from the 80s, I believe. And that one's really important. I wish every girl could read that book. Or I wish every teenage girl would read that book in a high school class um, because it talks about how we learn to view ourselves outside of ourselves. It's like, you know, looking down and instead of thinking about what we desire from the inside out, like feeling that. And yeah, again, I don't know how to combat that except to talk more openly about it. Yeah, no, I, I kind of feel the same way. Um, yeah. These conversations are really difficult and by kind of serving erasure and like going off of gut reactions of this makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to deal with it. So we're going to find ways to police this. Yeah. Um, it's not super helpful, but it's what we've been doing for sometimes thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uncertain topics. Um, you, you mentioned an idea of desire and in the other interviews I've, I've read with you, that's a really um, powerful concept for you and, and how you, you view things um, in certain ways. I think you wrote about, um, your interest for that. And, and I'm wondering 
how did that framework come to be? Was it from reading those books? Was it something you just kind of developed over time? Or, or how did you kind of develop that vocabulary? To write about desire? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I guess it kind of, I don't know. It's always been my main focus. Yeah. I don't really, I mean, I can think of an anecdote from grad school, but I think it would have to be bleeped out because it's inappropriate. <laughs> um, well, one time, let's see, in grad school, how could I say it? A guy said to me, if you, basically, like, if you had a more, you know, had a person to have regular sex with, sex with, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't write about it so much. Yeah. And I found that so offensive. Like, I'm writing about it because it's some un, I don't know, undecided or like mis- something in my life that's like not figured out yet. Yeah. Which, on the one hand, I think, yeah, sure, that might be true. But on the other hand, I think, um, I don't know, I mean, it's like this weird idea that if you, if you are a woman who's interested in sex or writing about sex or or talking about sex a lot, like there's something wrong with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like maybe that, I don't know, inspired me or, you know, made me kind of mad. And there's been other little things like that, like grad school peers saying you'd get published more if you didn't say these bad words, you know, the sexual words in your writing, which kind of, I know the intention is nice behind that, but it kind of just made me want to do it more. Yeah. No, I get that. And it's not like... It's not like you're just shouting into the universe like blatant obscenities just to like say them. There's there's a process and there's a procedure and there's an intention behind them. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing I was really interested in um, is like with with this being integral to your work, these words, sexuality, explicitness, how do you edit yourself? Oh, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, I probably don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes have had women writer friends look at my work and or look at this as when it was a manuscript and give me feedback, but it was not, I don't know, I'm not that into editing. I get I'm that. I'm more into like putting it all out there. I get that. Is, is structure more of an important thing for you, like editing the structure around than the yeah, individual parts? Yeah, probably structure, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I thought of another writer who was pretty important, yeah. Ariana Rines. Ah. And she has this book called The Cow that... I think I read in my second year of grad school at LSU and it was mind-blowingly good. And um, she really is fearless in what she writes. I think I'm going for fearlessness. Okay. I feel like I have this theory that even though the writing writing this book has been maybe has been and maybe will be problematic in a career teaching sense, like I could probably never teach high school again yeah. unless it was a super progressive high school. But I feel like when I'm an old woman, wouldn't I rather say, yeah, I wrote this kind of spicy book when I was <laughs> in my 30s. Wouldn't I rather say that than not be, be able to say that at all? Yeah. yeah. You're taking those risks and also addressing certain things that make people uncomfortable. And I think yeah. um, another thing... Um, you mentioned in that interview, as you said, it seems like my art was creating a good opportunity for a rather difficult yet necessary conversation. So you're making this, you're necessitating these these terms, these topics. Uh, otherwise, because people don't want to talk about them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I also think that um, I'm lucky, because some of my writer 
friends have said, I mean, okay, this is interesting. I guess the the guys have said, you know, well, why are you writing about that stuff? And I admit, I have also had boyfriends who had problems with it. Yeah. And then the girl writer friends are like, how do you do that? I kind of want to do it too. Yeah. You know, but I'm scared. And they're scared maybe because their parents are really conservative or something like that. So I do have to say that I have, I'm lucky to have a, parents who are supportive. And my mom read my book and then just wanted to have a conversation with me about it yeah. to ask, like, well, what, what parts are true and what parts are embellished, which was great because it's poetry, so it's not like any of it's necessarily true. Right. It's not like my memoir of my life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was a great conversation that we had, and she's been really supportive. And then my dad has not read it, um, and that's okay. I think he's just maybe not ready for it. Yeah. But still, you know, supportive in other ways. I get that. And that's your parents, too, which is uh, having a conversation about sexuality is difficult. Having it with, you know, the people that raised you yeah. is even harder. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. or even thinking about your parents as, as sexual beings is is difficult, let alone them thinking of you that way. You yeah. Know? And it's so interesting now. Um, I have a lot of friends who, you know, are married and have kids that are reaching preteen and teenage years and are starting to have you know, some of my friends are starting to deal with their kids looking at porn um, or how to have that conversation when it does happen. And I feel like I wish that there were more examples of how to do it. Yeah. But I think the most important thing is to just say everybody's probably looking at it at one time or another, whether they stop looking at it or they keep looking at it. And, um, and the most important thing is to not have any shame around it. Yeah. I'm really not into shame. Yeah. You know, and and so I'm proud of myself for writing a book that like pushes against that idea that anything should be shameful. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And um, yeah. the way that porn, you address this in the book, the way that porn can reinforce certain stereotypes are, are, are really harmful things. And yeah. I loved, again, I referred to that interview, kind of an anecdote you gave from a friend was about uh, how to reference porn. I was wondering if you could share that with our listeners uh, regarding it in terms of baseball. Oh, yeah. I talked about that in the other you interview. You did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one time I read an article that was so great, and I wish I could remember the writer's name, um, but it was a guy whose son, he caught his son looking at porn, and so he said, okay, I know that you're looking at this, and, you know, when we go outside in the backyard and throw the ball around, that's playing baseball, and it's fun, right? Yes. But it's really different from when we watch professional baseball. It's totally different. And, and that's still baseball. And that version of baseball is, is still fun and valid, right? Mm -hmm. Professional, throwing the ball around the backyard. And he said, that's, that's porn. You know, like the people doing it on porn are doing professional sex. And it's a performance. And that is not really how you're going to have sex with a partner in a more intimate setting which is more like throwing the ball around, yeah, but still fun. So I think the most important thing is to teach our young people and even, I don't know, even our not young people to distinguish the difference. Yeah. I feel like I'm in an interesting age in my 30s where I've been able to have sexual experiences with people who are like 20 years older and like, you know, 10 years younger. And I can totally see the difference between people who grew up watching porn and are now in their 40s, and then 
people in their 20s who did grow up watching porn. Yeah. And um and are having like porn sex. Yeah. That's it's interesting. It, it's because it's that's such a useful framework for thinking about sex is performance, right? Yeah. Um and I don't think a lot of people think that way. That's it's kind of like a light bulb clicking on to be like, "Oh, you're performing in a lot of ways and you're fulfilling roles for the other person and they are doing the same thing for you." And it's not uh, just like a, in kinks, it's like regular as well, right? Yeah. Um that's super interesting. Yeah. To kind of kind of wrap us up, I um I really appreciate you being here and I, I'd love to hear about um what are some books that you're reading right now and what are some some projects that you're working on? The poetry book that I'm reading right now is by a New Orleans poet, Jerrica Marshan, and it's called Swole. Um, so I'm I'm really into her work about New Orleans and and identity and Katrina, which is interesting because we just had the Katrina anniversary. And then I'm also reading, well, I also just read Megan Burns's new book, Basic programming, Basic I think. Basic programming, yeah. yes. Ooh, yeah. So that is also brilliant and having to do with gender and grief and online dating. I love anybody who writes about the realities of online dating Yeah. and just dating in this era. And then since I was in Paris for, well, just a few months ago, I was reading Colette and um, Marguerite Duras. So I love The Lover her novel. Um, I read another one of her novels recently. Um, I'm always obsessed with Jean Rhys. So I guess I'm interested in novels where women are writing about sexuality in slightly more narrative ways. Yeah. And I'm kind of heading, I'm trying to go in that direction. I'm working on a novel. And I'm also working on a chapbook about my time in Paris that right now I'm calling Je Déteste Mon Président. <laughs> I don't speak French, so that's just my bad version of I hate my president. I detest him. And I tried to say that as much as possible when I was France just to see how people would respond, which was cool. Yeah. I liked the responses. They also hate their president, a lot of them. And, um, yeah, I mean, just mostly focused on women writers. So, yeah, just anything where women are writing about sex I think is so important. It's so radical even though people have been doing it for a long time. It still feels radical. It still feels radical. I think it's so important to think about women as whole beings who can have a sexuality, and that's totally normal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Kristen, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciated having this conversation with you. Thank you for having me and for letting me talk about country and uh, sex and porn for a while. No problem. Appreciate it. <laughs> that was poet Kristen Sanders, and that's our show. You have been listening to the Writers Forum on WRBH 88.3 FM here in New Orleans. You can catch our program every Thursday at 3 p.m. as well as on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., this program, as well as WRBH's other interview programs, can be found in our archive on soundcloud.com slash WRBH Reading Radio. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.